Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. All right. Good morning, Mercy family. Good morning. Yeah, y'all are up. 9 a.m. Labor Day weekend. Uh, the Lord loves you extra. No, I'm messing. Um, and uh, for those of you online, Northeast, man, we love you guys. Um, I have the joy. I'm the lead pastor here at Mercy Church. My name is Spence Shelton, if we haven't met yet. And I get the joy of introducing to you, uh, just briefly, our guest preacher who will be preaching God's word to us this weekend. Uh, Dr. James Merritt is going to be preaching for us. Uh, it's pretty cool for me because Dr. Merritt, in many ways, you just call him Doc, by the way, that's the instructions of the morning, but um, he has been a mentor and counselor to uh, the guy that has been a big mentor and counselor to me in my life, in fact, the pastor of the church that sent Mercy out a few years ago, Dr. J.D. Greer, and so this is a, um, a real gift to have a guy who's been such an influence um, in our church and in many others over the course of his uh, just few years in ministry. So um, he is a Tar Heel fan as well, which I was really pumped to hear, Carolina basketball fan. He also has a football allegiance that I'm going to leave it up to him if he wants to talk about um, coming off of last night, all right? So that's going to be for him to, for him to talk about, and you'll certainly hear it. But would you join me in welcoming uh, Dr. James Merritt to come and preach God's word to us? Thank you, brother. Thank you. Well, Lemmy, good morning. First of all, to those who are watching online to the Northeast campus, uh, good morning. Um, I want to get started on a good note. How many Clemson fans do we have here this morning? Raise your hand real high. Don't be ashamed. Over here. Okay, anybody? Over here. Over here. Okay. Well, um, let me tell you what I said to the ladies. I was checking out, coming out of the hotel this morning, two ladies behind the desk. And they said, good morning. I said, good morning. I said, how are you doing? I said, I'm doing great. And they said, you didn't get in until like 1.30 this morning. I said, no, but I'm just so refreshed. And I said, I just want to say two things as I come out the door. So they said, okay. I said, number one, Jesus Christ is Lord. Can you say amen to that? Yeah. And I said, number two, just as important. How about them dogs? All right. How about them dogs? So uh, anyway, uh, it was a great, it was a great game. Did y'all go to the game? Anybody go to the game? You were there. All right, good. Y'all, Cle- you're Clemson fans as well? Oh, go. You are saved. I know that. I don't worry about you. That is awesome. Well, seriously, I want to thank your wonderful pastor for letting me. Uh, I can take this off, can I? Uh, I want to thank your wonderful pastor for letting me uh, be here today. I'm not used to wearing masks at Georgia. We're a little bit ahead of you guys. We don't have to do that stuff anymore. But uh, anyway, uh, again, I want to thank your pastor. He is one of the rock stars in our convention, one of the great young pastors coming up. I love his pastor, J.D. Greer, and one another one of his mentors, Todd Unzicker. So it is great to be with you today. There's a difference between what you say you believe and believing what you say you believe. I'm going to put a statement up on the screen, and I'm pretty sure the vast majority of you would say, well, of course, James, I believe that. I mean, I'm, I'm a Christian, and and, I, and, and I, I really do. But before you say that too quickly, I want to ask you the question again. Do you believe what you say you believe? Here's the statement. 
If you really believe in the transforming and redeeming power of God's presence in a person's life, if you really believe that your relatives, your friends, your neighbors, and your co-workers would be far better off forever if they knew Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior, then the single greatest gift you can ever give to someone is an explanation of how to be rightly connected to God through Jesus Christ. If you believe that, that is the greatest thing you can do. That's the greatest gift you can give to another human being. And, and, and I believe the vast majority of followers of Jesus believe that. But then it raises this question. Why is it that we know, and this is an objective fact, that 90 to 95% of followers of Jesus never or rarely share their faith with anybody? Why is that? And I thought about it a lot, and I believe deep down it comes back to motivation. Because if you really think about it, regardless of the source of motivation, it doesn't matter whether you're motivated by love or by guilt or by fear. When motivation reaches a certain level, you'll do what you're motivated to do. Give you an example. So I drove four hours up here a Saturday morning, got to Charlotte, waited an hour and a half to go three blocks to park, got into a parking deck, waited an hour and a half to get out of the parking deck, got out of the parking deck, got back to my hotel at 1.30 in the morning. Why would I do that? I was motivated. I wanted to see my dogs eat a tiger. That's why I came to see. You don't see that very often, okay? And that's why I did that. And so we, the, the, the truth of the matter is what we're really motivated to do, we, we do. And, and as a matter of fact, we can be motivated sometimes to do even more than we think we can do. I'll give you an example. There was a, um, a, a drunk man that left a bar. And he decided to take a shortcut through a graveyard. It was raining very heavily. It was pitch, pitch black dark. And he was walking through this graveyard, and he didn't see this open grave in front of him, and, and he fell into it. Well, he tried to climb out, but, but every time he tried to climb up the sides, it was mud and it was wet, and he'd just slide back down. And so finally, he just exhausted. He just went to sleep. Well, about an hour later, there was a man who worked late at night uh, at a factory, and he always took a shortcut home through the same cemetery. Well, he fell into the same open grave, and he did the same thing the other guy was doing. He starts frantically trying to climb and claw his way to get out, but about an hour later, he's just absolutely worn out. He's exhausted. He's convinced, I can't get out of here. There's no way. And then out of the dark, he heard this voice, and it said, you can't get out of here, but he did. <laughs> now, motivation is a powerful thing. As a matter of fact, motivation is the fuel that drives activation. Another example, the best diet in the world will not help you lose weight unless you're motivated to practice it. The best book in the world will never be read unless you're motivated to open it. The greatest message in the world will never be heard unless you're motivated to share it. Your pastor was telling me, I thought y'all did a, done a great thing. It's over the last three summers, you've been doing a series on the book of Acts. And that's awesome because when you read the book of Acts, it's really an easy book and a fun book because the early church explodes in growth. It multiplies across countries and continents for one reason. There's a one thread that goes through the whole book. Ordinary people like you and me were motivated and transformed by Jesus so much that they wanted to share with others how Jesus could save them as well. That's how the church grew. It didn't grow through great preachers. It didn't go through great programs. 
They didn't have buildings. They didn't have money. They didn't have influence. They didn't know anybody politically. They had no political power whatsoever. Just ordinary, run-of-the-mill, minimum wage workers like you and like me that just lived their lives every single day, didn't get their name in the newspaper, weren't celebrities, nobody ever, ever asked for their autograph, but they were so transformed by the gospel. They said, I've got to share this gospel with everybody that I can. Well, that leads me to a text. And if you want a copy of God's Word, I want you to turn to the book of Romans. And if you don't know where that is, go to the New Testament. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, uh, John, Acts, and then Romans, right after the book of Acts. I want you to turn to Romans. And I want to share with you something that every time I read it, it, it just blows me away. There was a man by the name of Paul who was, by any stretch of the imagination, probably the most motivated, celebrated sharer of the gospel that the world has ever seen. He had this X factor. He just, when he got saved, he got saved. But he says something in the book of Romans in the ninth chapter that, to be very honest with you, is so amazing. I've said this many times. If what he says was not in the Bible, I wouldn't believe it. I don't care if Paul did say it. I don't care if he signed it in blood. If it were not in the Bible, I would not believe it. And there are three questions that are raised in this passage that will determine one of two things about truth about you. When I talk about people without Christ, when I talk about people who are lost, people who do not know God, people who have no chance of going to heaven, here's my question to you. Would your attitude be, I couldn't care less about people without Jesus? Or would your attitude be, I couldn't care more about people without Jesus? Well, let's answer three questions. Number one, am I conscientiously aware of people without Jesus? Am I conscientiously aware of people without Jesus? I sat in that stadium last night, Austin. I do this when I go to the Georgia games, whatever. 74,000 people. And I was looking around that stadium last night while they were playing that football game, and I just thought to myself, if this stadium collapsed, if a terrorist came in here with a bomb and blew this place apart, how many of these people would be ready to meet God? How many of these people would really be ready to know the Lord? Paul makes an unusual statement, and he never comes close to making this statement anywhere else in anything he ever wrote. He says in verse 1, Romans 9, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. It's amazing. Nowhere else does Paul ever feel like he's got to defend his truthfulness. But he knows he's about to say something that's going to sound so unbelievable. Positively, he says, hey, I'm telling you the truth. Negatively, he tells you, I am not lying. And what he's about to tell us is how desperately he wants his Jewish brothers and his Jewish sisters to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And here's what he says. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. He says, in case you think I'm lying, I can look you in the eye. I'm not going to blink. I'm not going to hesitate, equivocate. I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to stutter or stammer. I'm telling you, my conscience is clear. What I'm about to tell you is true. So here's the question I want you to ask right now. If I really said, ask yourself this question. If I really said I have a burning passion for people without Jesus to come to know Jesus, would I be telling the truth? Would I have a clear conscience? I mean, you look in the mirror, you tell you, I, I can't answer that question. You got to answer it. In, in the way you live, the activities you involve yourselves in, the way you conduct yourselves, do you show unbelievers that you care about them? Would people on the outside look at us and know we've got a burden, we've got a passion for people to come to know Christ? 
I read something recently fascinating me about nomads that, that live in the desert. The way that nomads survive in the desert is they become expert tractor, trackers. They never get lost in the desert. They always know where they are, and they always know how, how to find people who may be lost. And here's how they do it. These, these nomads can squat down beside a set of camel tracks. And just like a fingerprint expert, they can identify by the marks that the camel leaves in the sand an individual animal they haven't seen for years. They can look at a man's footprints. They can tell just by his footprints how fast he's traveling, what condition he's in, whether or not he's in a hurry, maybe to some crime he may have committed or some law he may have broken. Here's what they say. A man's conscience is reflected in his tracks. The desert and the tracks cannot lie. So here's my question for you and for me. By the tracks that you leave behind in your everyday life, by the way you interact with people, would your conscience bear witness that you care even to find out whether or not people have a relationship with Christ? Does your conscience bear witness that you are always aware of people without Christ? Because Paul goes on to say this, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Paul said, this burden for people without Jesus, this burden for people that don't know the Lord, this burden for every chair that's empty in this building right now, that burden never leaves me. I get up with it. I go to bed with it. I eat with it. I sleep with it. I live with it. I have this unceasing burden of people without Jesus. Look, we all have concerns. Everybody in this room has got concerns. Some of you may have financial concerns. Some of you have marital concerns. Some of you have emotional concerns. Some of you have physical concerns. Some of you have relational concerns. Some of you may have political concerns, but let's be honest. Do we really, truly, honestly have a spiritual concern for people who are going to spend eternity without God. I saw people last night, this is no joke, not, not many, but I saw a couple crying after that game. Crying. Not Georgia fans. <laughs> crying. And with all respect, come on, it's a football game. Can I tell you what I believe ought to break our heart? What ought to break our heart is what breaks God's heart. And here's what breaks God's heart. Nothing breaks the heart of God like people without God. So the first thing I want to ask you is this. When you get in your car to go home today, when you get in your car to go out to your restaurant to eat, when you get in the car and you're going to the grocery store, are you even aware of people without Jesus? Second question Paul asks, do I continuously care about people without Jesus? Not just am I conscientiously aware of people without Jesus. Do I continuously care about people? without Jesus. Now, Paul's heart for people without Jesus was broken and stayed that way, and the burden never left him. You know, it's amazing. He never took a vacation from this burden. He never took a break from this burden. Didn't matter whether it was Labor Day, Memorial Day, Thanksgiving Day, Christmas Day. Paul said, listen to what he says in verse 2, I've got great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. There was this concern. There was this care. There was this compassion that stuck to Paul like super glue, and it never left him. Now, I'm going to be very transparent and honest. If you're like me, you run hot sometimes, you run cold sometimes. See, some of you will hear this message today, and you'll get fired up. You'll say, you know, James, you're right. Man, I need to be aware about people without Jesus, and I need to be caring about people without Jesus. But then the fire goes out. And we get caught back up in the busyness of life and the things that really don't matter. And we tend to forget about the most important thing that does matter. And that is a person having a relationship 
with Jesus. I mean, it may even be easy to think about so, so many other things that may be spiritual and totally forget about people who are not even in a spiritual ballpark. There are pastors who are more concerned about how good they preach on Sunday than they are about people that are lost. There, there are people that get up on the stage that are more concerned about how they sound than they are about people who are lost. There are some of you here today that teach about a small group. You lead a small group. You're more concerned that you put that study together than you are about people who are lost. Let me give you an illustration of this. There was a man that came to see me. This has been about three years ago. It's an amazing story. And uh, he, he actually met me at a crusade. And, and he came up to me. I was doing a crusade. And he came up and he said, hey, I just, I, I just moved to your town. And God's given me a ministry. And I'm looking for a church that would give me a platform for my ministry. And so he said, could I come see you? I said, okay, that's fine. So he comes and, and sits down. And he told me he'd been to a couple of other churches and, and that, I, that I knew very well, by the way. And they had turned him down. He tried to get them to kind of be the platform, but he, they, you know, he turned them down. He said, but you know, I've heard a lot about you, and I hear you're, you want to be evangelistic, and you preach the Word, and, and I think I've got something to offer you. So I said, okay, now tell me, what, what is this ministry you have? He said, well, here's my idea. He said, I want to capture the stories of people who've come to know Jesus on video. I said, okay. And he says, I want to enable these people to use their video to encourage other people who have come to Jesus to go deeper with Jesus and to fall more in love with Jesus. And then he looked at me and he said, see, I'm really into discipleship. So I looked at him and I said, okay, Charlie, I said, you're really into discipleship. Is that right? Oh, yeah, I'm really into discipleship. I said, well, um, Charlie, so tell me, where have you been going to church? He said, well, nowhere regularly. I've just kind of been visiting around looking for a place where I could have a platform for my ministry. I said, okay. I said, do you, do you have a family? And he said, well, yes, sir. I have a wife and two teenagers. I said, okay. I said, uh, well, where have they been going to church? He said, um, well, um, they haven't been going to church. I said, um, well, is your wife a believer? I couldn't believe it. He said, you'd have to ask her. I'm asking you. You're married to her. Is your wife a believer? Well, you'd have to ask her. And I said, well, what about your teenagers? He said, well, I'm not, I, I'm not sure about one, and I don't know about the other. And I said, let me get this straight. You're telling me that you're into discipleship, and you don't even know if your family has a relationship with Christ? I mean, you go talk about the deer caught in the headlights. I looked at him, and I said, sir, can I give you some advice? He said, yes. I said, maybe your biggest platform for ministry is in your own house. And instead of worrying about getting other people's testimonies on video, maybe you ought to be more concerned that your wife has a testimony. Maybe you ought to be more concerned that your teenagers have a testimony. I mean, you talk about not being able to see the forest for the trees. The gospel of Jesus, Paul said, ought to be like a spiritual tune we cannot get out of our head. Our passion of people, our passion for people without Jesus and our love for Jesus ought to permeate the way we live. It ought to saturate the words we use. It ought to infiltrate the work that we do. So I'm asking you a question. It's one thing to say, oh, yeah, James, I know people need Jesus. Yeah, I'm aware that people are lost. That's one thing. But do you care about people without Jesus? And then you may say, James, I, I really do. Yeah, I really do care. Well, then this is the last question. And that is, will I compassionately share with people without Jesus? Now, what Paul's about to say, I hadn't even got to the part yet, but it's, just hang on. So hard to believe. What Paul is about to assert, if he was not the great apostle Paul, you know what I would have done? I would have shaken my head and looked at him and I said, Paul, you're lying through your teeth. 
<laughs> you don't believe that. I don't believe that. I don't, listen, you may think you mean what you say, but you really don't. There's no way you could, because listen to what he said. This is unbelievable what he says. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race. I've read that in the Greek New Testament, and it's even stronger. It's one of the most astonishing things Paul ever said. As a matter of fact, more than one scholar and more one, one commentator has struggled to try to understand these words in some way to say what he really didn't say. Because when you read it, you say to yourself, okay, now wait a minute, Paul. Wait a minute. Either you did not say what you meant to say, or you did not mean what you said. Because here's what he says. No, I mean, there's just no hesitancy about it. Yes, I would go to hell and I would give up my relationship with Christ if my Jewish brothers and sisters would come to Jesus. <laughs> I, 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 I'm just speechless at that. I, I'm just speechless at this. There was not one person in the world that wanted Jewish people to come to know Jesus more than Paul. He wanted them to have what he had. But let me tell you what makes this so even more amazing. You do understand that as much as Paul loved the Jews, they hated him. He was public enemy number one. He was their best friend. He would go from city to city preaching the gospel, establishing churches. They would follow him. They'd stir up mobs. They'd arrest him. They'd drive him out of those cities. They'd send teachers in to try to disrupt the work he'd planted. Forty Jews even took a vow and said, we are not going to eat another bite till that man is dead. They put a contract out on him. They wanted him graveyard dead. Wanted dead, forget alive. That's what we want. He was Benedict Arnold to them. He was the greatest traitor to Judaism they ever lived. Listen, they hated Paul more than they hated the Roman soldiers. They hated Paul more than they hated pagan Gentiles. He was the arch enemy of Israel. He was Luther to Superman. They even got him beheaded in Rome. But yet as Paul, as much as they despised this man, he said, I would gladly give up my salvation. I would gladly go to hell if it meant that you would give your life to Jesus Christ. I mean, Paul says, I am so consciously aware of people without Jesus. And I so continuously care about people without Jesus. I will do anything. I will go anywhere. I will sacrifice everything, not just my life, my eternal destiny to share with people without Jesus. Now, I'm going to be very honest. I've never come to that place. I'm not going to sit here and tell you, I would gladly go to hell if somebody else would go to heaven. I've just never come to that place. But I will tell you this. Every time I read that statement, here's what I do say. Lord, I want that passion. I want that heart. I want that fire. I want that love. I, I, I want to have that strong desire that people come to know Jesus. Because, you know, you say, well, James, how do you think Paul got to that point? Here's what I believe. He could say that because he was so full of Jesus that did exactly what he said he was willing to do. Because you do understand, Jesus did take our hell so that we could go to heaven. Jesus went to where he did not want us to go, so we would never have to go there. So now I ask that question 
And it convicts me whether it convicts you or not. Do you really care about that next door neighbor that never darkens the door of a church? Do you really care about your doctor who cares so much for your physical body, but you have no care for his spiritual soul? Do you really care that people leave this world without at least having a chance to give their life to Jesus Christ? Many of you have heard of the atheist Penn Jillette. He is a magician. I watch his show sometimes. And it's really amazing. He is a, he's a very, very, very devout atheist, totally against belief in God, hates Christianity. Well, on his blog, he shared the story of an audience member who came to listen to him. And, and after the show, he gave him a Bible as a gift. He was really nervous when he did, but he gave him his Bible as a gift. And the man looked at Gillette, who can be very intimidating. He said, I just want you to know, Mr. Gillette, I'm a believer. I am praying for you. I asked God that he would give me this opportunity, and I'm really praying you'd come to Christ. He didn't know what, he didn't know if Gillette would cuss him out or what he would do. Gillette was so touched and so respectful of this man caring enough to do this. Here's what he said. I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. And then he went on to say this. If you don't hear anything else I say, look up at the screen and listen to this. How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? Now, here's the question. And I, listen, I really wasn't preaching to you folks today. I was preaching to me, you just got in the way. Because let me tell you something. I walked out of that stadium last night. Yeah, and I'm being serious. I'm not being funny. Was I pumped that we won? Yeah, I was pumped. I was excited. But I went out of that stadium two minutes, and I thought to myself, thinking about this service today and thinking about this message today, what happened in that stadium means nothing. Ten years from now, nobody will, not hardly, except the people that played and a few... Nobody will know who won that game, and nobody will care. But I'll tell you what will matter 10 years from now are people who died, whether with Jesus or without Jesus. Ultimately, that's the name of the game. So the question I want to ask, and we're finished, what's your attitude? And it is one of two things. I couldn't care less about people without Jesus. I couldn't care more about people without Jesus. If the Jesus that you say lives in you and the Jesus I say lives in me has transformed you the way he's transformed me, how can we not, every chance we get, with whoever it may be, share the gospel of Jesus? Would you pray with me right now with heads bowed and with eyes closed? Number one, there may be someone here today and you don't know Christ. You don't know Jesus. Maybe you've been visiting this church for a while. Maybe you hadn't been in church ever. Maybe this is your first time. I don't know. I don't ever take this for granted. But I just wonder, has there been a time in your life when you realized you were a sinner that needed a Savior, that you can't save yourself, that you finally saw the light and realized that Jesus Christ is that Savior? He died on a cross. He came back from the grave, and he paid for your sins. Well, I... I I haven't thought about it till today, but I do believe that. Well, has there been a time in your life when you confessed to him you were a sinner, that you needed him, that you repented of your sins and asked him to save you?
You know, I've never done that. Well, can I give you an opportunity to do it today? You may be a little boy, a little girl, teenager, grown man, grown woman. You may be single or married, old or young. But maybe today's the day. Maybe you didn't even think, now I know why I came. Now I know why God brought me here. So that I could walk out of this place and know that Christ is my Lord and Savior. You can make that happen right now just simply by praying this prayer right now. Just saying something like this. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I need a Savior. I cannot save myself. But I believe you died for my sins. I believe God raised you from the dead. And I believe you're alive right now. Come into my heart. Become my Lord. Become my Savior. I repent of my sins and turn away from my sins and surrender my life to you. If you prayed that prayer and you meant business, God did save you right then. And then to all the rest of us, as I get ready to pray, well, I know, Pastor, I already know the Lord. James, I know Christ. He's my Savior. He's my Lord. He did not save you just to save you. He saved you to use your testimony to bring other people to him. Who's your one? Who's that one person you thought of during this message? Who's that one person in your family, outside your family, lives in your neighborhood, lives next door, lives outside your neighborhood? Who's that one person the Spirit of God brought to your mind? Would you right now say, here's Holy Spirit of God, would you give me the opportunity this week, maybe even this day, to open up a gospel conversation, to reach out to that person, to tell that person about the love of Jesus? Father, I want to thank you for your word. Lord, every time I preach it, I get so convicted. I want to have a burden that never ends. I want to have a fire that never goes out. I want to have a, have a passion that's always red hot for people without Christ. Lord, to my knowledge, Michael never gave his life to Christ to this day, but I pray wherever he is right now that you'd convict him of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for caring for us. And we give all of this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.